do we want to start with a food heist or with a crazy story idea? Ooh, I don't know. Our fans love both. Mm-hmm. Let's start with a food heist. Okay. Because this is a good one, and this is one that a lot of our beautiful, wonderful listeners sent to me. Excellent. And we haven't actually recorded live in about a month because we were waiting for the Kickstarter. And so they sent me this a long time ago, and they've been eagerly awaiting. This happened on the French border. Okay. Thieves came in, and over the course of 12 hours I hope they stole in baguettes. Belgium, they stole more than $1 million worth of Red Bull. Uh, That is not what I was expecting when you said France and Belgium. No. This was a resort in or near a place, an industrial estate, it says, in Menin, which is in Belgium on the border of France. They stole more than 300 pallets full of cans of Red Bull. And I assume that they had to drink several of them just to get through the full 12-hour heist hauling pallets of of soda. Why, like, why does a resort have a million dollars in Red Bull. That's the big question. That's the bigger question. Yeah, and like... Well, it says industrial estate. I think Mm -hmm. I said resort town, and I might be wrong. Oh, okay. Uh, This might be like a warehouse. Okay. Yeah. And that seems like if you're going to steal a food, that's a heavy one. The drinks were taken from a warehouse of a partner of Jet Import NV, one of the largest distributors of Red Bull, Desperados, and Fever Tree products. Okay, so it's the place where they ship in the Red Bull to distribute locally, Mm -hmm. and someone made off with a million dollars in Red Bull. Um, Yep. Okay. Which is is absolutely bonkers. They, Uh, you know, I wonder if anyone at Red Bull's like, should we make a commercial out of this? I mean, it really sounds like it could be a commercial. No. Yeah, it's, who knows? I don't know how long it takes to make a Red Bull commercial. Maybe they're Mm. working on it. Mm. But yeah, it took 12 hours and I don't even know what kind of warehouse facility is closed for 12 full hours. Like, maybe it took place over a vacation? Yeah, just a ho- over the... Or something? I mean, Saturdays exist, Dan. Don't don't people work on Saturdays? I do. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> you're self-employed. Yeah, I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this place shut down for the weekend and some thieves some... ran off with over a million dollars worth of Red Bull. I like now, that one. What I have learned recently mm-hmm. is that most of these really big ticket food mm-hmm. heists are actually conducted by the hospitality industry. Really? By resorts or hotels or other restaurant chains or things like that who huh. just need bulk food. And okay. this is the way that they get it. So the big butter heist we had several months ago, almost certainly a hotel or someone who is selling it to hotels. Okay. And so I wonder so if that's a... going on here, or maybe if I were to make the movie of this, mm-hmm. not knowing what actually happened, it would be dudes who run a gym. <laughs> and they're like, we need everyone to come into our gym, so we're going to do this thing. One wacky partner has promised free Red Bull for yeah. life to people who sign up for the gym thing. He did way mean... more people signed yeah. up than he expected. Yep. It was supposed to pick one winner out of all of them, and it picked everybody, and mm-hmm. they're legally liable for the fact that now they have to provide Red Bull for life to, you know, a 1,000 or 2,000 different people. They're like, what are we going to do? And then someone else and is then like- his, like, wild card partner mm-hmm. says, don't worry, I got this covered, and it shows up, you know, a week later with an entire truck full of 300 pallets. I mean, I don't know how many pallets mm-hmm. you can fit in a truck. Maybe that's several trucks. 
And he's like, well, everyone's going to know it's us then. So yep. now they've got to figure out, too, how to put it back. How do we send it back? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the reverse heist. Mm-hmm. So this is turning into a story, and I have a story idea for <laughs> All you. All right. What's your story so idea? So my story idea is actually an evolution of a previous story idea. Oh, cool. So my favorite one of all the ones we've ever talked about mm-hmm. is the time yeah. travel disaster tourism, right? Yes. Influenced some stuff I did on a secret project that I don't want to say too much about because I don't want to give spoilers. Mm-hmm. But the one we talked about that I didn't write as anything is still this idea of going back in time to the Titanic. Yeah. Right? And for those, if you haven't heard the episode, the idea is that with alternate dimensions in a world, you can travel back to the Titanic and not change your future. You're not going to do anything mm-hmm. wrong that's going to mess up the future. You can just go play in the sandbox version of the past. Yeah. And we talked about maybe this idea where someone goes back in time and one team has to stop the Titanic from having its disaster. But there's secretly a second team there to make sure it does or something. Some, yeah. some sort of, mm-hmm. you know, some game sort show. Of goofy thing. And I thought, I wonder if... You could go to the studio that made Titanic, that has the rights to the James Cameron Titanic. Okay. And do Forrest Gump slash one of those things where it's actually taking place, like, you know, Wicked, right? Takes place parallel to Wizard of Oz. Or the better example, this is a really nerdy one, is the old episode of Deep Space Nine where they go back in time. Where they go back to the original series episode. Series episode. Could you do your story as a movie in the actual... So James ti- Cameron is going to film his Titanic movie on the original no, Titanic no, 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 to no, save money? No, 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 no. This is We would just do, the, do it as a movie and use the footage from original Titanic and Photoshop our characters into the... Oh, and you, okay. You call it Titanic 2, <laughs> sink harder... <laughs> And you, you, you have, you know, Paul Rudd or somebody <laughs> be our protagonist, and they travel back in time to James Cameron's Titanic, pretending okay. that's the actual so historical event. So the sequel event. to Titanic is Paul Rudd playing on the Titanic playing as part on the of Titanic this virtual reality and, game show thing. And accidentally influencing the effects of the movie Titanic. Well, there's a game show happening in the background while Rose and What's-His-Name are falling in love. That's wonderful. Yes. And my favorite part about this idea is the thought that it will be so successful it will turn into like a 10-movie franchise (laughs) that all take place during the same time period over and over and over. And so by like movie six or seven, there's so many people in the background going on and the story becomes so precarious. Wouldn't that be funny? Wouldn't that be hilarious? Like, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do. We're going to get the rights to the the movie Titanic. That's our next Kickstarter. Yes. (laughs) You know, that little movie. That little, yeah. That that little movie. Small indie film. James Cameron's moved on. He's making 70 Avatar movies. Yeah. Right? He doesn't care about Titanic. And he's got to fund those Avatar movies. Yeah. Yeah. And so I assume... One of the many things in his yard sale is the rights to Titanic. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no blue people, and well, Leo at the end is at blue. the end. Yeah. There's several. There, blue there's people, a, there's some blue people, but, but yeah. they aren't blue enough. Yeah, and their hair can't. I mean, their hair freezes to things, yes. but it doesn't like. Yeah, it's not interact with them yeah. in, in other ways. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you know, 
we're just gonna do Forrest Gump, except James Cameron's Titanic. Titanic two sink harder. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, the weird things that would happen in the world if you and I were actually in charge of making <laughs> we movies. Were given authority over anything important. <laughs> So, Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Let's Kickstarter. talk about this Kickstarter. People have been asking, why yeah. haven't we talked about it? It's because we got right up to the number of episodes that we needed to get through March, mm-hmm. knowing that I was going to be spending all of my time doing Kickstarter craziness. And so, yeah. we haven't actually even spoken. No. The very first day of the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. after yes. it hit a million, I texted you and said, hey, how do you celebrate a million-dollar Kickstarter? And you said, well, Jordo's bringing several different kinds of hot dogs. Yes. Which is the most perfectly Jordo and Brandon way of celebrating a million-dollar Kickstarter. Yep. Ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we haven't talked since. Mm-hmm. And so, first of all, dear viewers, many of you have been asking because you wanted to see my reaction, Yes, my shock and surprise to you know the four surprise books and all this. You actually told me about this last year sometime. Yes. It was whenever you revealed it to your staff, which yep. I want to say was late summer. It was early winter, but yeah. Okay. It's like, yeah. well, late summer is like September-ish. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So right around there. So I've mm-hmm. known for quite a while that this was coming. Absolutely was not expecting the eventual dollar value. 42 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 10 million per book. Uh, no, that took me completely by surprise. I remember you and I having conversations, and maybe you were lowballing on purpose, but we were saying, well, if this hits $3 million, then we'll know that it's a viable thing. Yeah, I, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I thought five was our top end. I really legitimately thought mm-hmm. that because I knew the fan base was there and could do it, but whether they would move from Amazon and Audible to buy the books on Kickstarter, I didn't know, and yeah. I didn't expect it to happen. But Well, and we have... You and I have, I think, a history of underestimating the potential of things. Yes. The first several years of the Writing Excuses retreat, we were surprised every time it sold out, even though it sold out like in 10 minutes the first year. And then the second year, we thought, oh, well, all 24 people who wanted to come already came. No one's going to come the second year. Yeah. We keep underestimating things like that. But Yeah. Were there any moments where... I have been with you sometimes where it seems like, how should we say, you have this sort of clash between Brandon, your goofy friend from college, and as you occasionally put it, Brandon freaking Sanderson, as you've said <laughs> yes, several yes. times. Well, they're, 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 they're two different people. Yes. And I wonder if you got to spend a month with Brandon freaking Sanderson in charge instead or whatnot. <laughs> it's very different. And one of the things that I consciously try to do is treat you as my friend Brandon. Yes. And not Brandon freaking Sanderson. I don't know um, how to how to treat Brandon freaking Sanderson, right? Like he yeah. doesn't actually exist to mm-hmm. me. He's a thing that exists in the public unconscious and the fandom, but I don't even know him, right? Yeah. Like I can't even really be him. Right? Like mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw my live stream yesterday, if you even heard about it. I did tune in for some of it at the very end. But, you know, Brandon Sanderson's response is, let's put a black lotus on a gold chain and wear it around my neck. I don't know. (laughs) But Whereas my friend Brandon is like, oh, I can afford way more weird kinds of hot dogs now. Yes. No, but I have to assume 
that it is difficult for you not knowing Brandon freaking Sanderson. Yes. Because the majority of people treat you like Brandon freaking Sanderson. They do unless they watch the YouTube channel and things and interact with me. Like the fans on Reddit and the fans on the YouTube channel, they just know it's just me, right? Like they see the real me and they seem to get it, right? That's why I can come dressed on as B-Money and things like that because (laughs) I don't have to, for them, maintain some mythical reputation. You know, I am a Mm -hmm. guy who likes to tell stories who was raised by a mother who is a very smart accountant, and I'm able to understand the business side of writing, I think, a little extra because of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm able, therefore, to do things like this that a lot of writers aren't interested in doing. So there yeah. is that aspect to me. There's a bit of an entrepreneur. There's a bit always, I think, big, and I dream big. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, just me, right? Like, this is a bad thing because I've always been a little confident, shall we say. Yes. It's a trait we share. <laughs> a trait a lot of writers share. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all of them. I wouldn't say the majority. A lot of writers are are very insecure well, at the same time. Yeah. And you, I think you need a combination of insecurity yeah. and arrogance to mm-hmm. be a professional artist of any kind because yeah. you have to think, well, my art is so great, everyone's going to want to see it or read it or listen to it, while at the same time thinking, this isn't good enough yet. I need to revise yeah. and, and fix this over and over and over. Yep. But anyway, we kind of want to talk about the Kickstarter today. And really, we wanted to talk about maybe kind of what the Kickstarter means and doesn't mean. Mm -hmm. Because I'll tell you, I've gotten some interesting emails. Oh, I have to assume. Yes. Lots of interesting emails from people and a lot of interesting comments and a lot of people feeling like this has changed things forever. Whereas I... Do think in publishing, this is one of those moments that does change things forever a little bit. Yes. A tiny, tiny bit. Mm-hmm. One of the small shifts. Like when the Kindle launched, that changed it in a big way. This is not on the level of that. No, but it is definitely, I think, in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say this is arguably the most disruptive event in the publishing industry in about 10 years. Yeah, probably since the ebook revolution. Yeah, ebook yeah. revolution. This is a stat that I know I've said before, but I'm going to repeat it for anyone who doesn't remember. 2012, 10 years ago, that was the year in which ebooks really took off. They'd been yeah. around before. Mm-hmm. We had our Brian Andersons and our right. Mike and, and whoever, ten, 2010 Sullivan. is like when the yeah. Kindle launched, and mm-hmm. then it just suddenly. It felt like out of nowhere, but it was about a two-year period that it just... 2012, there were more books published in that one year than Mm -hmm. in all of human history prior combined. Yeah. That was when it really sank into all of us that, oh, something massive has happened and everything has changed. Yeah. This isn't that big, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely big. But it is not the death knell of of publishing by any stretch. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people thought the first day, the first week I was getting a lot of questions of, mm-hmm. uh, is this the death knell of publishing? In fact, I will tell you that my publishers were a little nervous. Not that it was the death knell of publishing, but that I would think it was. Yeah. And, you know, you might be asking me, why, Brandon, isn't this the death knell of publishing? Well, nothing is ever going to be the death knell of publishing. Yeah. People like books. 
and authors want people to produce the books for them mm -hmm. and things like this. A big part of why this is not the mm -hmm. end of the publishing industry yeah. is because there are maybe six, seven, eight authors worldwide who could get millions of dollars from a Kickstarter. Yes. And I would say probably none who could get multi-millions with, you know, sight unseen. Yes. There are several authors who, if they came out and said, I've written four books, I'm not going to tell you what they are, give me money for them. I don't know of anyone who could repeat Stephen that. Stephen King could. Stephen King? Stephen King yes. absolutely could. You're right. Stephen King doesn't write bad books, mm -hmm. right? And Stephen King is a very eclectic writer and can write in all genres. He absolutely has the cachet for it and yes. the track record 100%. What, um, Stephen what, King, what he does not yeah. have mm -hmm. is the community that you have. He's got fans, and I would say probably more fans yes. by an order of magnitude. Yeah. But one of the things that you have done very well and very effectively is you're one of the best community builders that I know. And the relationship you've built up with your fans is something a lot of authors don't have. Right. It's partially because of things like I can talk about my process and be very clear about my process, which doesn't work for all authors. Mm -hmm. And it's no throwing shade at authors that that can't work for. But because I am an architect, I can talk about what's coming and what I'm doing. I can keep people updated. And that earns a lot of goodwill. My communities on... Reddit and Facebook and social media just tend to be pretty good communities here on YouTube. It's a great community. I guess there are lots of people listening to this on not YouTube. So sorry, mm -hmm. people who are listening on Spotify. <laughs> you are great, too. We just don't get to see your comments. Yes. But regardless, there is that. But I would say the bigger reason, I think if Stephen King did this, he could beat my record. In fact, I would be excited to see him do it. because I have my doubts. More people going to the platform is good for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think that if Stephen King said, I am writing the next four books that I write across you know, the next period, he could beat this record. But I don't think he would do it because shipping out all those books is a big hassle. Yeah. It is an enormous hassle. Like I have, I would guess, the most robust fulfillment arm that an author has for themselves in the world, would be my guess. Unless Probably. they also own a publishing company or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, and I think some of the really big indies, like yeah. Michael Sullivan, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a similar I think shipping his own books kind of thing. a solid one, but I don't know. We'd have to go see if Michael, yeah. I would be willing to bet that he has a pretty good one, but I'd be willing to bet mine is bigger, right? Yeah. And I have to at least double my staff to oh, handle this. For sure. And buy... A giant warehouse. Well, and that's a thing that a lot of people, I think, were forgetting. As mm -hmm. the number kept climbing and climbing, everyone thought, oh, well, the more money this makes, yes. the more money Brandon gets because, you know, the economies of scale. The printing costs will go way down because he's printing more books, things yeah. like that. Those people are forgetting that really the product you're selling mm -hmm. is the year-long shipping ordeal that you are now looking forward to. Yes. And that is going to require massive staff. Yeah, the other thing is they are right in some of that economy of scale, mm -hmm. but the economy of scale is uh, is logarithmic, meaning your amount you earn, the printing cost goes down. If you print one copy, mm -hmm. sometimes printing one copy can be like 50 bucks. Yeah. If you print 100, suddenly you're down to, I'm guessing, but you're down to like 10 bucks. 
If you print a thousand, you're down to five bucks. And so, you know, we're doing ones that are more expensive. Ours are not going to go probably below 10 bucks. I'm not sure. They might, but we're doing these really nice editions. But regardless, the jump in that theoretical from 10,000 to 50,000 is now you're earning three cents extra a book. Yeah. Which is still, you know, when it's you're still talking to be that a lot big. when you've got a lot of backers. But, uh, but. Um, the economy of scale is logarithmic. The more people that back, the more we can spend on each of the products, which is good. And don't get me wrong, but you're right. The economy of scale kind of does stop being such a big factor over time. Mm-hmm. We do have to get a big warehouse. And the other thing is, not that I'm downplaying the fact that I made all this money, yeah, but yeah. about a fourth of that $42 million is shipping. Mm-hmm. And that's counted in the number on Kickstarter. Yeah. And that's straight pass through. We just quoted the rates that we were given by the post office. There's no handling fee added on top of that. So none of that is money we get to keep. I'm still probably going to walk away with a decent chunk of change. Oh, for sure. But yeah, I don't think the real point is, I said this on the podcast, right? I have an HR director. Mm-hmm. I don't think most authors became authors because they want to have an HR director. They wanted to have an HR, right? yeah. Having an HR director is a thing that many of my author friends would say, you have failed in life because <laughs> you have built something where you need to have an HR director. Well, and it depends on what you're going yes. for, right? Not like failed, I, but... I often think, mm-hmm. and I've said this to some friends before, I want to be so successful that I no longer have to think about my business because I can just let someone else handle that. Yes, Whereas you have lapped that a couple of times to the point that you are not just a small business owner, but a full corporation owner with a giant staff, which is a very different kind of thing. Yep. So that's one reason it won't change. You're right. Most people can't do this. Mm -hmm. But I want to add a kind of caveat to that. Okay. There are probably only a few authors that can do millions. There might only be a couple of us that could do tens of millions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I really think that it's probably me, Stephen King, maybe J.K. Rowling if she did Harry Potter. Yeah, J.K. Rowling could do it. Mm-hmm. She couldn't do it blind. No, I probably. don't think people would buy her next four books without knowing what they were. Yeah. If it was Harry Potter books, she could do it. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely confident yeah. that Jim Butcher could break... Oh, yeah. Seven figures, no sweat. I don't know if he'd get to eight figures. Jim's another one that every book he writes is good. I've never read a bad Jim Butcher book. In fact, every time he switches to a new genre, I'm like, eh, and then I like it. And then they're all great. And I think there's that. But what I was going to say is I think there are a lot of authors that could do five or six figures. And where this can be disruptive is – those particular indie authors, but you know, I think a lot of authors could go and make five or six figures mm-hmm. on Kickstarter and could do it just for ebook and audiobooks and would not have to do physical fulfillment. You think? I think so. Because the physical fulfillment is a, a lot of work. And that's mm-hmm. the big thing that makes it hard. That's why yeah. going to Amazon and publishing your ebooks, that's why in 2012. More books were published ever because it was all the ebooks. Because it's the ebooks, because distribution is really hard. We're running into like, how do we get books to Europe without charging people? Like, the shipping is ridiculous Mm -hmm. to Europe right now. How can we do that on our future Kickstarters? 
and have local places distributing where we send a big box or even we print in Europe and they, but that's not even counting. How do we get books to Australia? The Aussie fans, you know, they deserve to not have ridiculous shipping either. Mm -hmm. But this is all an enormous, enormous logistical challenge for people. But you can deliver your own eBooks and audiobooks pretty easily. with a click of a mouse. Yep. That's incredibly easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the fallouts that I expect from this is that over the next three or four months, we are going to see a parade of poorly thought out Kickstarters that are all going to fail. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope it won't as well. I am more pessimistic than you. Mm. I think a lot of people are going to have learned the wrong lesson from this Mm. and come away thinking, for example, that just Kickstarter is the way to go and that there's a huge audience there that is waiting for books. I don't think that's true. I think I, for example, could not make five figures on Kickstarter were I to kickstart a book. Yeah, that would be tough. And I've got a really good platform. I mean, Isaac kickstarted one of his books Mm -hmm. and did pretty well. Yeah. But it was not explosively huge, right? So yes, there is that. But at the same time, Dean Wesley Smith is kickstarting almost all his books right now. And in most cases, he's kickstarting it and making $10,000, $15,000. Yeah. And his readers expect that that's going to be the case. They get the early version from that. Then he puts them onto Amazon and things like that and eventually makes enough on them for Mm -hmm. it to be profitable. And I think that way of going is legit. The question is, why would you do this instead of Amazon and just putting it up? And there's a couple of reasons. Like, I am worried about Amazon. I wrote a big kind of manifesto for my website Mm -hmm. a few weeks back in the middle of the Kickstarter thing where I'm like explaining some of these ideas Yeah, that I don't think that this is the death knell of publishing. I do hope that I've changed some things and made some questions be asked. Yeah, And I kind of went down a couple of points. And point number one is this is not me declaring war on publishing. Yeah, This isn't even me declaring war on Amazon. I like Amazon. I'm still going to be releasing things with Amazon. Mm -hmm. It is me being really worried about the market share that one corporation has in the publishing industry. Yeah, it's really over the top. Mm-hmm. The numbers, when you look at ebooks and audiobooks through Audible and physical books distributed through Amazon, you know, what is it? 80 or 90% of the books people buy are what? going through Amazon at some point? I came up with 85% of my yeah. books being sold, all formats completely. Mm-hmm. through Amazon. I could be off by a little bit on that, but it's not wildly off. Yeah. And do you remember when Amazon turned off the ability to buy our books? Were you hit by that? Um, During the contract negotiations with Millen? Yes. They, you know. Yeah, all, they, the, all the tour books. All Macmillan books just mm-hmm. couldn't be bought for a month. Yeah. February 2010, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Print or ebook, or I don't think they owned Audible then, but yeah. basically just... Amazon turned them off, and that was totally within their rights. You don't have to sell something you don't want to sell Mm -hmm. at your store. Totally within their rights, but also a very clear punching the wall next to your head Yes, and letting you know, I am willing to go too far to get what I want. Right. That's a really good image, punching the wall next to your head. Yeah. Right? Like, And I learned that lesson. 
all these last 12 years, part of the reason I did this Kickstarter is mm-hmm. I learned the lesson that they taught me, Yeah, which is you do have my entire life in your hands. Mm-hmm. And that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. And I again, why is Amazon successful? They have the best user interface, the best user experience. Mm-hmm. That's what they've done. You know, they have done some questionable practices. Most corporations have. Yes. But at the end of the day, the Kindle took off because they made a good product for people. And so I can't really begrudge them that, but I I worry about that. And I noticed some things. My manifesto kind of talked about this. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the rise of indie author-supported advertising on Amazon over the last five or six years, early 2010s on Amazon, if you went to the page for The Way of Kings, say Mm -hmm. 2014, I'm guessing, yeah, you might see an ad for an Amazon Kindle, but almost all the books being featured on that page for The Way of Kings were books people had read who also liked The Way of Kings and had rated highly. And so if you went down right underneath, it would be like, here's other Brandon Sanderson books, and here's other books that people who love this book like, Yeah, which is a really good marketing tactic, right? Mm -hmm. It's a a great way to cross-pollinate. It lets new authors, if their algorithm worked right, which is how I would set it up, that if even if you only have like 10 or 12 reviews, but you're newer and those people also liked Way of Kings, then maybe you'll show up there. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's too much gaming that could happen with that system, but I think you could figure out a way to make it not gamey. Yeah. Over the next years at Amazon, they replaced almost all of that with ad space yeah. that they're charging indie authors to appear on the the page for mm-hmm. Way of Kings. They're charging indie authors. They are mm-hmm. also pushing their own books. Yes. Because during that time, they have become a content producer yes. instead of just a distributor. And we see the same thing with Netflix. Mm-hmm. You know, their algorithm used to be... Yes you liked this movie, you're going to like this one too. And now you get a couple of those and most of it is Netflix originals. Yeah, We spent money to make this movie. We want you to watch it whether whether or not it has anything to do with the thing you just finished or not. And Amazon's doing the same thing. Amazon's doing that. And the thing that bothers me about this, man, we're going to have to talk... Next week, we promise we'll talk about a movie or something (laughs) for those who are not interested in this. But what really worries me is Amazon made indie publishing work Mm -hmm. by giving really great royalties. Yeah. Right? But now they're kind of hidden charging people. They're taking away that royalty by making it pay to play. Mm -hmm. That worries me. It worries me that a couple years ago, ACX, which is self-publishing on Audible, Mm -hmm. just dropped their royalty rate from 60% to 40%. Yeah. Just, nope. We can. We're the biggest in the room. We can do what we want. We've altered the deal. Pray we don't alter it further. Exactly. Is what they did. And that's ridiculous to me. Absolutely ridiculous. Because if an author records their own audiobook and all they're doing is having Audible host it, Audible deserves some money for that. Sure. But the generally agreed upon percent that we've decided that's worth as a society is 30%. That's mm-hmm. what most of the platforms get on most of the things they sell. And maybe that's too high, maybe that's whatever, but I don't think it's too low. And Amazon's just said, no, we want 60, we want double that. And you just have to play our game. And there is no other game in town. And so part of this Kickstarter was to say, well, Maybe I can make another game in mm-hmm. town where yeah. I can release the audiobooks directly to my fans without having to use Audible. Yeah. Now, this is a really good time to point something out uh-huh. because I want to head off 
one of the primary responses that mm-hmm. always pops up when people start talking about this kind of monopsony situation mm-hmm. is people will start using it as a justification for piracy. Right. Like I can just stream, I can download and pirate these books and these audiobooks because screw Amazon. Yes, you can, but please don't because you're also screwing us. And when you pirate books, the creators that you ostensibly love are suddenly not getting paid for them. And so it actually is very difficult. If you want to stick it to the big corporation, you end up sticking it to us as well. Yeah, I mean, the a better response to that is instead of buying a Brandon Sanderson book, which is only offered on this platform and I don't support, mm-hmm. I'm going to go buy a book by the Cindy author, support them on the platform I do like, Yeah, right? That's a much better way to put your money where your mouth is. And yeah, anyway. But regardless, that was kind of like point number one for me mm-hmm. was this idea of, of I, can you still do what you want to do yeah. without being under the thumb of Amazon? And again, I have a lot of friends at Amazon mm-hmm. and I think they do some great things. I certainly don't want to declare war on Amazon. I sure wish they would, you know, treat their warehouse employees a little better. Yeah. I wish they would make some changes in the way they approach things, but. At the same time, I wanted to have this thing. But I also kind of wanted to show some stuff to New York. Mm -hmm. So part two of my manifesto was, hey, New York, meaning traditional publishing. Yeah. It's a couple things that I think you should be doing. And the main one is, I'd I'd like to get you to read on this, is bundling print books with an ebook. Free ebook if you buy the print book. Yeah. That is something I've always wanted. Because I would love to have all three formats together Mm -hmm. Um, because there's a lot of books that I am listening to or that I'm reading on my Kindle. I have a Kindle. Um, And then when I get in my car, I think I wish I could just have it pick up where I am and keep reading. And if they bundled different formats together, you could do that. There's a lot of economical reasons why that doesn't necessarily work for some publishers because they are relying so much on ebook and audiobook sales. But... I really just I think know. it's a thing I, we should have I, solved. I, I agree. I think that it's... And when you know, I was talking with you and mm-hmm. with some of your staff prior to the Kickstarter, I was absolutely in that team as well. Mm-hmm. Is, is, you know, if people are buying the print book, give them the ebook along with it. I accept that the audiobook has different costs. Mm-hmm. The size of hosting an audiobook is non-trivial. Yeah. Beyond that, paying for the audiobook narrator and things like that is also non-trivial. Definitely. I think you can charge separately for that, but making the ebook once you have the print book is trivial amount of work. It's yeah. like an hour for Peter to make one, maybe less. And that's just because Peter really likes to look it over and make sure everything is working together mm-hmm. and things like that. And Yeah, but just exporting a file yeah. out of like InDesign or whatever into Mobi. Yeah. And beyond that... I think that the industry will always say, we want to support bookstores, independent bookstores. If you found a way to package that ebook with the print book, it advantages the bookstores because people Mm -hmm. are going to Kindle instead of their local bookseller because it's super convenient to have that ebook. It just really is. And if they knew they could go and buy from their local bookstore and have a nice book for their shelf and get their ebook... Then yeah. Well, yeah. and you talked about logistics earlier. Mm-hmm. That is also a logistical problem to solve. Yeah, it is. Because how do you do it? Do you have a receipt mm-hmm. website where you can redeem a receipt to get an ebook? Yeah. Do you have like a scratch-off lotto ticket in mm-hmm. the back cover of a print book? Yeah. Uh, how do you stop someone from going into a bookstore, 
taking a photo of the QR code and then taking your ebook away so yep. that you don't get it. There's a lot of problems that need to be solved there in are. order for that to work. I think they are totally solvable and we should have by now. Mm -hmm. And I can think of, and I'm sure the listeners can think of, a dozen ways to solve each of those problems, some better than others. But I think they should have solved that problem. And the other one they should have solved that mm -hmm. I've been yelling, uh, well, yelling is too. Speaking loudly. Speaking loudly about <laughs> how I think the industry should be doing this is I think we should be offering, how should we say, upsell potential. We should be offering a more expensive product for those who want it. Yes. And that is the main thing I wanted to bring up mm -hmm. because I think more than anything else, more than any other single factor, what your Kickstarter has proven is that what people really want is books that are more than just a sleeve around a story. Yep. They want an artifact. They want an object that is- They want a piece of art. Really impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They want some kind of neat thing to have for their house that they can sit on a bookshelf, like all the stuff behind you, whether it is an autograph or a fancy leather edition or illustrations in it, they want something that's more than just, I printed out that ebook, you know? Bandai Namco sent me this sword that's behind us right now. Oh, that's really? That's from uh, Elden Ring. That's so um, cool. <laughs> I assume this was either one of two things. Either mm -hmm. they sent me, sometimes they put together these things just as promotion to give to influencers mm -hmm. to open up on stream. But oftentimes, I actually haven't looked. I should look. These are the $500 edition of the game you can buy that comes with a sword. It came with a cloak. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, it had a sword, a cloak. <laughs> it had this nice little wooden thing. Mm -hmm. It's real nifty. And they know that's one of my favorite game series of all time is the Souls-like mm -hmm. games. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they sent me that. But have you ever seen anyone other than me sell a book bundle that comes with a cool swag item, right? Well, yes. Okay. I know a lot of indie authors mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and now off the top of my head, I can't remember the name. I did a book event, a couple of book events with this woman in the Northwest. Oh, and I'm so sorry that I can't recall your name. I do this. I'm old now. And she always has book swag. She has okay. things to give away at signings. She also has fancy upsell versions like you're talking about. Does she have... I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but mm -hmm. what I'd want is not just having swag to sell. Everybody figures out having swag to sell. I yeah. want an exclusive swag item that when you pre-order the book or buy it in its first week, it comes with this thing. Like when you bought the Lord of the Rings special edition that came with the Gollum bookends. Yeah. I love those things. Mm -hmm. And what I think New York should be doing is they should be selling these. Absolutely. And they're Barnes not and Noble is half toy store already <laughs> right yes but publishing mm -hmm. is not and yes. one of the things that a lot of people who are not inside the publishing industry don't understand is that it is so slow to adapt mm -hmm. so remarkably slow they still think of themselves as kind of silver age science fiction you know yeah. we sell books to bookstores and and we print out these paper things and they're adapting very slowly and so these concepts of you know, someone like you mm -hmm. who is doing this and you have your own warehouse and you've built your own supply chains, you can get like, I'm going to give you bookends. I'm going to give you a statuette. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a cloth map or whatever it is that you're selling. Traditional publishers have printers and that is all they have for fulfillment. And so asking them to do this stuff requires them not just to sell some extra things, but to change their business model. It does. And they have thus far been very, very reticent to do that. 
And hopefully them saying what I've done here is kind of proof of concept. The part of the problem is though, I am Brandon freaking Sanderson. Exactly. Right. Uh, and what I can do legitimately, people should be asking, can this scale to other mm -hmm. people? I think we should be trying. I think when a book that you're excited by comes out and you go to Barnes and Noble and you pre-order it, they should be saying to you, would you like the bundle? Here's a sheet that shows you all the cool stuff that would come with it. Or we have, you know, for the big books, like here's a replica display of the thing you mm -hmm. can get. Do you want to upgrade to this? When you yeah. go to your indie bookstore, they should be able to just order that version for you and call you and say, we've got your book bundle. And you come and you've got a sword. Yeah, right? which is great. And I remember five mm -hmm. to 10 years ago, this used to be more common to see authors trying to do that on their own. Mm -hmm. Like if you pre-order this, yeah, you can, you know, show me the proof and I will send you a thing. Right. And that's so expensive for authors to mm -hmm. do it on themselves and you don't see it much anymore, but I do think this is a clear proof of concept that that is what can really drive sales and that's what a lot of fans want is more than just print out the ebook for me. They want something else fancy and big. How's that, Ben? Mm -hmm.